Okay, so we're still at Aunt Gail's. Or Maryland's. Uh, <laughs> you look comfortable. Thank you. Oops. Oh, hang on. Keep it PG. Pixelate that. Mm-hmm. So, what were we going to do this one about? I'm distracted Service. right now. <laughs> Service. My eyes are up here. Service. Um, design. Service design. What are you doing for your customers? And how do you do it? Yeah. How do you define what you're doing for your customers and, and actually do it? Put a name to it and then execute against it. And then what do you do when you do a thing that isn't on the list of things that you'll do? Ooh. Ooh. And then you forgot to call them and say you did the thing and then you asked for money. That's a bad thing. Uh, so like different framings of this, I think people oftentimes call this like productizing, um, creating packages. We're going to talk about that. Um, so this was really helpful for me. So my background, um, bought into a traditional firm team of about 40. You've ran a firm from, you and your buddy to, you know, a hundred plus people and everything in between my experience transitioning a legacy firm. That was exactly what you'd expect an old firm to be hourly billing and all that with around 1500 clients nailing our, and like going through the exercise of service design was like a huge unlock for us to get away from traditional hourly billing, start thinking more about like, what are the specific things that we are selling? I turned that AC off and we're just going to have to turn it right back on, aren't we? Uh, yeah, I think so. It got hot so fast. Okay, hang on. <laughs> Marilyn? <laughs> and while Jason's turning on the AC. Thanks, uh, Marilyn. Thanks. We, uh, I guess I was lucky because we got to design everything from scratch. So we didn't have to make all the changes that you had to go through. You were woke from day one. That's one word for it. Um, I would just say lucky because we were able to design, regardless if it was good or bad, just what we wanted. And you didn't have that luxury. Oh, so you got it right on the first try, did you? No, no. I said it was bad. Uh I said we were lucky that we got to do what we wanted. Okay. So (laughs) did that push us even deeper? Who knows? But it was... It was us. And it was like, okay, if we're going to screw this up, it's on us. And the team members around us that want to be a part of this. Whereas the situation that you walked into, there was obvious uh, history and uh, and inertia internally and on the client side that a lot of firms are going through. Yeah. They don't have the, like the luxury of starting up from scratch again and doing something. Um, But some do. How is that for a, a right right angle yeah. turn they start up a new firm but that's not what we're we're kind of talking about here it's like what does your journey look like on the service design side when there is all that inertia because i think that's pretty interesting for people who are in the same boat whether they're coming from another firm to another firm and they're setting something up from yeah. scratch and there's the inertia or they're there and they want change and they could use some advice this is definitely one of those things where like the high somebody railing on about the hypothetical ideal way to do it isn't particularly helpful when most people are in a place where they're like, okay, I'm at a, but how do I get to B? like hypothetical is cool, but like, how do I actually get there? That's right. So I, maybe to set the scene first to kind of zoom out a bit to make sure that we're all talking about the same thing. Like the explain, like I'm 15 version of service design. I'll tell you what it is to me and you can 
fill in anything maybe that you think differently. To me, that is looking at all the things that you do, putting a vernacular to them. And like that could be a really long list of things. Could be a really short list of things. Could be just a few things that are done at different levels, but with different kind of variables or alterations for a given service, like bookkeeping frequency versus and volume and stuff like that could still be like a variable of a package. But service design to me is just getting more explicit about here's what we're going to call all the things that we do. And when we do deviate from that and do them slightly differently for clients, like trying to maintain a vernacular around those things so that you can get explicit about what you do and don't do, but also so that downstream from that, you can build processes around that vernacular. So anytime we do that, and this is ultimately the value of it for me, anytime we do this for somebody, we do it this way. Maybe this team is in charge of this type of work. And maybe anytime we're going to do this work, it's like sold this certain way and kind of within these pricing parameters and stuff like that. Is that it? What would you add to that? No, it was good. Was that for 15 years old? I feel like it started at 15 and ended up at, at 30 and yeah. 50. Um, I think you nailed it. The only thing that stuck out to me while you were talking was service design to me is just as much of what you won't do as what you will do. It really is about what you won't do. Like it's, yeah, very true. So however you do this, there is like cohesion with sales. There's like a cohesiveness with ops. There's a cohesiveness with finance to make sure that all of this work is properly like delivered. And if one of those pillars is weak or doesn't hold up their end of the bargain, you have issues. So I think a good service design is everything you said, defining what you don't do and putting just as much effort into ensuring that the elements and, and departments, I guess of, of your firm are all working in sync to deliver those services. Yeah. Cause like the org chart, and the talent and all that has to align with like, what are the things that we're selling? Yeah. By the way, I realized midway through your karate chops there that you were just balancing the mic on the chair. That's impressive core control. <laughs> <laughs> I am known hands. for my core control. Uh, uh, you can't see that the corner of the mic stand is under my leg. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Don't look. You are. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's not as impressive. Okay. Um, <laughs> I was like, okay. how is he doing that? Um, cool. So, so what are, what that's are, it. Just make it work and we're, <laughs> we're done. Everybody's got it figured out. So for you were, I think, probably early to the party on this stuff, as you like to remind everyone that you were on most things. Um, what, what, are, what are the ways? Uh, and I will say, like, this is one of those things where as it becomes more in vogue, I actually think it's easier for people to do it better straight out of the gate because there's yeah. more of a consensus and less a less pioneering frontier, like uncharted waters. So like I will say, like for people getting into the state, I do think it's easier than it was like back in oh, you know, ninety five when you started your firm. Small like uh, small divergence here. Like I met with a, a guy who started up his own firm. He showed me what he was building three months in. He had like 
essentially yeah. been at where we were at like year seven. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, wow, like you, you did good. And I, that's, that's the power of like peer discussion and transparency, transparency and like knowledge. This. It's like, there's a lot of resources and a lot of people that have figured this out. And like, it's just nice to talk to those people and like surround yourself with them so that you can bounce ideas off of it. Like there's a lot of groups like that for, for firm owners. And it's just, it's nice that they're, that they exist. Yeah. Um, okay. Get the old muck and boots out. There's going to be a lot of socks in this episode. I apologize in advance. What are all the things that the table. you got wrong? What are, what are, what was your in journey in service delivery? That? Yeah. Not, not like, fulfillment but like the design. the design of what you do for people oh i mean in another episode we talked about how like the current version of what you're doing tends to be what you think is the best version but if you really think back to like where you were maybe it's not and like where where you were at a, at a earlier point in time was really good for for you and it worked well and i think it's hard to say like oh you know, we did this early on and it was such a bad idea, but really it was okay for that time. Cause we were still like finding ourselves and figuring out what was important to us and how we wanted to work. But looking back, if I had to do things differently, I wouldn't have aligned the way we priced with unlimited service. Ah, you told people it was unlimited? Yes. We could do a whole episode on we unlimited and what that means. <laughs> you probably should. Because that's just always giving me the willies. It is. So that was a big mistake. Um, caused a lot of friction for years. Was still valuable and, you know, was a big selling point. But I think... Was it? You think it was? What, valuable? The unlimited yeah. vernacular was a good selling point? Yeah. Or did it just attract the people it did the who were like, I know that I'm really annoying. Yeah. The no, 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 no. Like you remember those 20%, but like the 80% are good and it, and it works. But doesn't it, if you, if you say we are the unlimited Limited. version of accounting. No, it doesn't it go, work. It, it doesn't work. No, but you, you lose money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I believe it. Because doesn't it, mm. doesn't it like just inevitably attract all of the people for whom their last accountants were like, you're calling me too much. And then they see the unlimited one and they're like, finally, finally. <laughs> all you can eat buffet. Yeah. I will go golden corral. Yeah. That'll make you a little sick. Um, okay. So you, you did what, what things did you say were unlimited in the beginning? Uh, support. Okay. Yeah. And if you don't define support, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> support mean like support posting entries to the ledger and yeah, everything it's unlimited. Basically. So like, okay. Designing a service around unlimited without a lot of, you know, definitions around that and things was, was probably something we, we could have done better. Um, Can I belabor this even further by saying, please, Jason drive it down even further. by saying we lose perspective of the things you will do for a dollar when you're new. Oh. Right? I We used to create Shopify stores for people because they didn't have a way to sell. <laughs> wow. But like, for the, so I do think sometimes like we can get all hoity-toity and be like, oh, like, don't do this. And this is coming from like a place of abundance. Right. Where you have plenty of work. But the people for whom they're like building their side hustle and despise their job right now. And they're like, right. I will do anything but this. I'll do anything for that $500, for that $2,000. I don't have a pr – here's – you may feel differently about this, but I have no problem 
in that circumstance, bringing in the money, getting the experience points, yeah. and just realizing that they're not going to be a client in a year. Just take their cash. You've got capacity. Do it. Unless you've got so many people knocking on your door yeah. to eat up that capacity, it's okay to prioritize the I'm going to leave the bad part of my life and trade it in for something that could be equally as bad, but it's on your own terms and yeah. it's there. So when I would meet a lot of uh, like people that were starting up their own firms, they'd be like, oh, should I take this bad client? And like 90% of the advice online is like, no, don't take it. It'll be bad. I'm like, yeah, if it'll give you money and like you can learn from it and you can practice having hard conversations and you can practice like learning what's not in scope and firing clients, go for it. It'll, it'll make you better sooner at the hard things if you're into that. Wow, that's bad advice. But it was good advice. Yeah. I, I, I no, you're a worse person than most of us, I think. Uh, my model for that is like, <laughs> I think I think you only do that if it's like, there isn't a better way to get the same money, right? That's right. Like, and so that's like, if you absolutely have to have that money and then there is not a better way to get that money, then I think it's an option. But I will say, oftentimes what brings that client to your doorstep, something could have been better upstream in the messaging and the website and all that to not, to not get that stinker client. That's right. And that may actually be, even in your most desperate of times, that may actually be a great argument against unlimited, even when you'll take anything. Because what is on your landing page and you know the pricing and the information putting out there is fundamentally attracting people who will always be bad. Is there a different version of that landing page that could attract a higher quality person to begin with and just the same amount of dollar value? But I do, I do agree with you in large part. Like I would say, I would say it's very easy for people on the other side of having built a firm to say, "Oh no, you're obviously doing that wrong because you took that client." When you're like, "Buddy, this is all I got." That's right. For a while and. I think you have to temper it with I would I like if I knew I was going to kick them to the curb in 12 months, that would be hard for me. Like you do have to think about like what is not like hosing the uh, that other person? Like if you're knowingly going to then like that's right, just totally burn them. Yeah. Sometimes you don't know when you're going to let them go. But what we more often do is the opposite of that and think if I take them today, they're going to be with me forever. And whether you do do desperate, I'll take anything, or whether you take the thing that you think is perfect today, in a hundred percent of cases, they will not be forever clients <laughs> because <laughs> you're just true. you're just not going to start with your perfect clients. No. So like as like you will make your best guess, and you you're you're going to change every eighteen months. Yeah. In your firm. Yeah, oh yeah. And like. And it is healthy, like it is healthy to still be selective, and it's even worth thinking about financially. Is there a way that I can extend my runway initially so that, you know, like maybe I will have more of the luxury of taking in the better fit clients initially, but no matter what, they will not be your forever clients. And what is becomes really hard is accepting that you have outgrown them. Like you've like there's this whole like big boy, I put my big boy pants on now. I don't, I don't, I can't give up being the the blue collar the whatever you want to call it you know that like i don't know i see that so much like accepting that you're not the person anymore that would help that client 
And it's like, you've changed. Your firm has changed. You're keeping that client from being someone else's first client. Mm -hmm. We took on everybody we could in the beginning because trying to convince somebody that they should pick a licensed remote CPA firm. Yeah. With that's, no employees. That's an uphill battle. In a basement. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. I remember we, we signed on like our, our first client at $121 a month for everything. Whew. We're like, $121, huh? High five. Was, I bet there was a really complex calculation that went into arriving that figure. Oh, we just didn't want to be 120. So okay. it's like, we didn't want to be 119. Sure, yeah. <laughs> it's got to be 121. So uh, I'll never forget it. And then, you know, weeks later. <laughs> funny? I know. We want it to be 121. <laughs> but the sad fact is it's still 121. <laughs> it was extra five bucks. Yeah. Got to cover that software. Um, the next was like, yeah, like, $300 a month clients and $200 a month clients. The reason we took them was one, we needed money, but two, and again, this I, th I think is okay. We wanted the money to be able to like support hiring because if we had other people that could help do the work, there would be like, not exponential, but a faster point to being the firm we wanted to be. Sure. Than if we didn't take those clients. Interesting. Which I don't think is a common frame of mind for most people growing accounting firms. I think it could have. I don't know. Can you really generalize people anymore? Like, you used to me. <laughs> you used to be able to say, "Oh, you know, accountants are always conservative and they're always risk averse." Oh, lots of risk averse and non-conservative types of accountants that will take risks and lose money. Um, not a great business plan, but like they're, they're open to like some types of thinking. Now, I guess fast forward 10 or 12 years and like obviously laser focused on profit and optimization and stability. Um, it's a completely different mindset than it was in the beginning. And I, I still don't know if I would change anything. I, I like the idea of, taking the money in and then designing the service here. Here's the back Bring to, around to, de it. to designing the services. Once you have a feel for what you like and what you don't like. Very nice. You know, that's, that's actually some sage wisdom because in the same way that you're not going to guess who your perfect client is on the first try, you're not going to guess what am I going to enjoy? Like people who are coming into the profession or career switchers, like that's my advice is generally, figure out a way to get your hands on as many different things as possible uh, just to figure out what you do like. Mm -hmm. So were there things that you did in the past that, and there's, there's doing things just because somebody will pay you for it. But are there things you did in the past that are like, Oh no, we actually don't enjoy doing that. Or we don't enjoy staffing people to do it that you have since abandoned. I don't know about that question, but it just reminds me of like in the very beginning, you're just going to completely disregard my question is what you're saying. Yes. Yes, sir. Um, this might answer it. Uh, we didn't have bookkeepers when we first started. Okay. So we had outsourced the bookkeeping to another bookkeeping firm. Oh, interesting. And we did, I was doing all the like tech and ops and like sales kind of thing with, with Josh my business partner. And he was doing some sales too. He would do all the tax work. So like tax and tech. And then our first hire was doing like some tech, some ops stuff and some like little things like yeah. that. But 
I remember like we just physically couldn't do the bookkeeping. So we offshore, well, it offshore, it was to a firm in Toronto. But then as soon as we had the wherewithal to bring it back in, we brought the bookkeeping back because we realized how important it was. Um, I didn't realize it. We actually had a, a bookkeeper contact us out of the blue and it's like, I think you should do this. And I'm like, Oh, that makes sense. Right. Um, can't take credit for that. But like you, you, it doesn't matter how you start. It just matters that you like, you, you keep an eye on the things that you do enjoy and you don't enjoy. And, um, like pe- people kind of scoff at us a little bit sometimes because like we never were able to figure out how to do weekly bookkeeping and we've never really offered it. I think that it's a figment of our imagination. Thanks. That's not true. There's a couple smart people I know that I, they, they have figured out. Yeah. 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 Um, we hadn't, ever done AR services for almost 10 years and just started a couple of years ago. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Like sending out invoices and following oh, up gosh. on things. Never did it. We just stayed away from it. Um, you still doing it now? Yeah. And it's like, it works for some customers, Okay, but within parameters, we've learned like how to create parameters around it. Yeah. Um, there are certain things that we'll stay away from if we don't have that person on a service plan. So like we won't pay their tax bill if they're not on a bill pay plan with us. Okay. So like that kind of stuff. Um, but to your question of like things that we've gotten away from or added, I mean, it's uh, yes. Inventory. We used to help set up inventory systems on the op side and the financial side. Now we've kind made of made a lot of money on that, did you? No. <laughs> Is there anybody out there that does accounting for <laughs> inventories? Or do they, have, do they just all have to take it in-house? Every time our customers call these like inventory specialists, like, yeah, we can get to it in six months or nine months. They are booked solid. Yeah. All it's these probably a killer business. Killer. If you, it. if you can figure out the profit on that. Yeah. Like, to, can we make sure nobody can see up your skirt here? Yeah, we're good. Um um but yeah i mean we stepped away from inventory stuff we still work with it but we take the responsibility to just limit it to the how it gets in the account so you'll take people that have inventory you just don't take that part of it that's right we're very clear about that so like Uh, i think and like taking on the inventory clients in the beginning taught us wow you can really lose your shirt on unlimited service when there's a lot of bill of materials and po issues and multi-currency issues 121 a month one had a little bit of a negative profit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but this isn't the, the show about, about what I've done. Um, you've got to have seen some of that stuff as you figured out from your clients, like, Oh, we actually can offer this stuff because we aren't offering it. So take it from like the lens of, okay, I want to offer these services. How did you like decide what services to even introduce to a traditional firm that was mostly tax? Yeah, the reality is we were doing a whole bunch of stuff and just hadn't put a name or a label to it. So the first, like the starting point for us, like was not this, like, I'll go do ayahuasca and like come down from the mountain with the this list of services on a stone tablet kind of thing. It was like, what are we already doing? And what's the easiest way to bucket these into like a standardized vernacular? And then what do we do about the outliers? So that was where we started mm-hmm. was what are we doing today? Like, let's put a name to everything. Cause even if we don't want to do it tomorrow, 
we would still benefit from developing systems around like the state of things. And we would still keep like legacy projects that we liked, even if it was not a thing that we would take in like another instance of like, there were still projects that we would keep for years that were still good projects for us that we just probably wouldn't sign up to do again. But even with that, like we had a name for it so that we could build processes around it. And we had kind of an agreed upon vernacular for how that work got done. But there were definitely things over time that kind of trended up for us and trended down. Um, we, we started, you know, selling like basically cash reporting services because we had so many clients with short term cash issues mm. and we were doing bill pay for them. And they would blame us if we would pay a bill and they didn't have enough money to pay the bill. And so we ended up just kind of like backing into having to do this planning anyways. Mm -hmm. And it was one of those things where you're like, oh, we should put a name to this and actually sell it. Um, and so we learned that like in the process of, of selling bill pay, the projects where we were losing our shirts were the ones where the clients were running cash super tight and it was three times as much work. In a perfect world, they've got infinite money, and you just put the bill, and then you <laughs> schedule it on the date, and you just cover your eyes. So you call this one cash management. Yes. So we we had this sort of cash management service that hap happened at different frequencies, different levels of intensity. Uh, so there were a couple different types that we did, and then we would do them on various different frequencies. And so for us, I think that was like as simple as cash reporting one, cash reporting two, and then a frequency is like what we would actually call it. Everybody knew what that meant within the team. And there was how many people was that when you were designing the names? <laughs> like how many clients were you? No, it? how many people in your team at that point? Cause you, I think when you came, it was a certain time and then like you got up to 40 or 50, 60 people, whatever it was. So like what, what, at what size were you starting to design, like putting names to these, these, these services? Like 35 or 40 people, but the majority of those people weren't involved in the team that would like actually do that work specifically. Gotcha. Cause we were doing tax and all back office stuff. So we had a whole bunch of people. Oh, so there might've been like different. five or six people that were doing that team at that time was maybe like seven or eight okay. people. Okay. And we would put like two people in charge of that function. But because we then were able to like do it in a standardized way, we could take it off the work, take it off the plate actually of the accountant and it would just be kind of this production team that would make sure these things went out on a consistent basis. Um, but we got there by realizing, oh, like, this is a pain in the neck for our bill pay service, but it's also these people's biggest stressor. And, you know, there's bigger picture issues here where, like, they are just the type of people who have that leaky bank account and will never amass cash to overcome this issue. And... You know, you learn that after having these conversations with clients where we're like, hey, Steve, classic Steve, this was three times the work as normal for the third month in a row because you still haven't built up a cash balance. I know, I know. They'd be like, give me one, give me one more month. Give me two more months. And eventually you're just like, you just, you don't give people that slack because that's just how they run their business. And that is, that's fine. And like, we found a way to support those people still. And they would pay really, really well for this cash reporting service. And it was something that like could be largely automated. Um, but because it was such a big stressor for them, the irony of them not having any cash was they were happy to pay a good chunk more per month, uh, like upwards of three to $800 more a month for these small businesses just for that cash reporting because it yeah. gave them peace of mind. Mm -hmm. Because for years... It was just off their plate. 
Yeah, they've been doing all this work and all this juggling of like, oh, and it didn't put any more cash in their bank at the end of the day. It actually left less cash in their bank. But more peace. More peace, more transparency. Mm. They had greater confidence in like, in... uh, Someone else versus them. They knew reality, I guess. Yeah. Like we, like we couldn't make up money and all that, or anything like that. Um, but like that was a great example of a service that we got really hot on, and then we started selling the heck out of it. Another, another example was uh, we worked with a lot of dentists, and they all have the problem of whose job is it to reconcile the cash that comes in the bank with the cash that's posted in the practice management system? I don't want to give my my um dental operators access to the bank bank. i don't want my accountant to have access to all this personal information and i don't want something getting stolen in between so they they are more happy to give us the third party that has no control over the practice management system access to the bank to verify that because we don't have access to the whole thing and so it's something that like the dentist would do and it's a huge waste of time or their spouse would do or most commonly reconciling insurance payments yeah, nobody would do it. And then it's the biggest source of theft. Right. So we figured out a way to automate most of this in Airtable. Um, and it worked initially and then it kind of like fell apart. But like we were able to build this process of this function that was really viable for people that we could kind of sort of automate, but at the very least delegate to like our lowest skill people. And they would pay a really handsome premium for it because it solved a really hard problem. And yeah. so we were at a point where it was like, we're selling cash planning. We are selling deposit reconciliations. Those are our most profitable thing. I would rather add that to 10 engagements than go take a new one. Mm. So, yeah, we had a lot that ebbs, ebbed and flowed. By the time I was out of there, bill pay was like trending down because we had some negative experiences and it was like such a high stakes thing. Yep. So, yeah, we like we went through all of these different versions it fluctuated with actually how we staffed. So the more we leaned into offshore staffing, we started building more like around what are the most valuable things that our offshore team can support clients in the standard recurring bookkeeping work. That's less. And uh, even the non bookkeeping stuff. I actually loved. I actually, to be totally honest, like for me, bookkeeping was the way in, but I feel like we made money on all the other stuff we could find that hurt for which there wasn't a set price examples, uh, cash planning and deposit reconciliations, like, like stuff like that. Oh, so doing the project work around the reconciliations, the big heavy lifts that, uh, cause we would do that on a recurring yeah. basis, just like the bookkeeping, yeah. but they didn't have any other way to get it done as opposed to bookkeeping. There's a hundred bookkeepers out there that they could go higher. Uh, so I got more excited about like what were the peripheral things yep. that the offshore team could do for us because it was easy for us to add people to that team. Checking bank balances, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So even as we kind of like got turned on to offshore as a way of extending the team, even that influenced our service design and mm-hmm. the stuff that we were real hot on at, at a given point in time. It sounds like you were experimenting with certain service lines that were working that's all great. But like, how do you keep that in sync with, you know, a document or a, like a, a, a list of services that you provide that your sales team can then go sell. And like your ops team has parameters on and your finance team knows 
that they're selling at the right price. Like walk me through that um, process of just disseminating information and standardizing it so that people had access to it. Or was that even mm-hmm. a thing? I mean, our, our cast team had the benefit of only being like 10 people. So we didn't have a lot of the issues that you have of there being more people across, you know, keeping keeping everyone in sync just naturally happens a lot easier the smaller that you are. Because you you, you're essentially the salesperson. Um, I wasn't necessarily. No, not by the end. But there's just less. You're closer to all the work that's happening because there's fewer people doing all that stuff. Yeah, it makes sense. So did you find that there were... Let's just go straight to the heart here. Do did you have a like a final list of services that you could refer to that listed you know the name of the service, the things that were and weren't included, yep. and then the like standard pricing for it? Uh, yes, we had we had them all explicitly listed out. I don't know that we got as far as associating standard pricing with those things. That was hard for me because there were so many, like when we would pick up a new client, there's so many like just bigger like drivers of value and kind of where they're coming from that it was always hard for me to pull that down to a specific line item. Mm-hmm. Now, in a more incremental way, if we're adding something, yep. that's a little easier for me to get my head around. We didn't get that far. doesn't mean that that wasn't the right thing to do, um, but we absolutely had an explicit list of the things that we do for folks. And maybe half of that list were things that we were actively doing for new clients. And half of that was, we've got some old engagements that still actually make really good money and we're happy to do this stuff, but Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like where we're headed. So maybe half of those things were things we were actively like willing to do within new engagements. But then at any given time, there were, certain things, certain types of service lines that we were hot on, that we were like, we want to get this thing. Another example, we did this for a few clients and we're hot on this for a while, was we do somebody's payroll and it starts with running payroll and it ends in being a fully outsourced HR department. And that's just how these engagements seem to go. Uh, And a couple of our more like savvy clients would have like, the whole team in Slack and that sort of thing. And we filled the role of a, a payroll and benefits user in Slack. And when Gusto in the US first rolled out like the health built in like health insurance integration stuff, and Gusto is super novel. And when yep. it works well, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. When it breaks, it's really frustrating. But the client wanted to go all in on this where everybody can manage all their benefits, like just like an Amazon checkout inside of Gusto and all this. And when it works, it's amazing. And like the peanut butter to that jelly was us being a user in their Slack that could answer any questions mm-hmm. about their pay stubs, about their benefits and all that stuff. Because we could help with that in Gusto as well. Mm-hmm. And people would pay thousands of dollars a month for mm-hmm. this, for their small business. And so like that was a service where uh, we were like this, like we can hire people and train them to do this all day long and the clients are just eating it up. So like that was a service for a while that we were really hot on. And so we had a lot of those things that kind of like ebbed and flowed that were not accounting things. I can like, I can, I can mirror your excitement because at five to 10 people, like that's good money. Like you, you know that there's only like a few people that are 
managing those clients and like the, the horrors that we've lived through at that is like, okay, who's in the Slack channel? How's that getting back into the project management system? Well, it was a 15 person payroll team. How do we make sure that the coverage is there? And you're like, you're going through all these things and like, it is really hard to have that like really bespoke service when you have to like deal with coverage. And if someone leaves, um, that's coverage obviously, but like vacation coverage and when people leave or get promoted, it, it became really tough for us to do all that bespoke stuff profitably because the cost to maintain the bespokeness and the uniqueness was just so high with documentation training and onboarding new team members with having um, procedure docs for every company's specific situation, mm-hmm. you know, times hundreds. Right. So we, we, we did that in the beginning too, and it was a great moneymaker, but combine that with unlimited and then people starting to get promoted or the team getting really bigger. It, uh, it broke. And, I think like we're if we keep this in the lens of service delivery, um, it didn't break then, like when all we were doing it. But as soon as it started to break, we realized we had to break out the price for payroll more and um, have different training for it, and like all that stuff costs money. So now, what we I love what you said was like it's easy to bring a new customer on with one price and align that to the value and then add on later. And mm-hmm. we'll probably do something later with that kind of stuff, but we're, we're moving now in a direction towards, well, everything has a line item price and it's easier to assign that value and do that work from a service design perspective with the standard price. Yeah. And it's just like your firms will always go like this. You'll go through different ebbs and flows. Yeah. Um, and we're just, we're in one of those flows where it's okay. Specificity is more important than, than what it was before. Um, but yeah, service design. So you created these things. The team knew exactly what it was. It was being sold properly. You pick the things that were profitable and you enjoyed doing, which is really important. Mm-hmm. And your team seemed to enjoy doing it. You, uh, lifted like new avenues to talk with each other using Slack and, like their team members, you really leaned into into it. Um, what were some of the services that you either got rid of when you started putting on your hat of, okay, I'm going to be defining the services going forward. Um, or even as you were leaving, you knew those services were on their way out because of profitability or mm-hmm. it was hard to scale or something like that. Um, like I shared, like one of the, one of the, things we were really kind of souring on by the end was bill pay. People will pay a really good amount for bill pay. It's an easy thing to sell. It is just a really high stakes thing. And you don't want your team to be the one to get it wrong because it's real money or, you know, like even though we send everything to the client for approval, um, timing might still be an issue. Yeah. Or they approve something that they shouldn't have. Or it was already approved before. Yeah. And then we pay it or, and like fishing now, like, if if bad actors know that like you are the ones hitting the button for your clients to pay bills, like buckle up, like yeah. they're going to try everything that they can. And so positioning ourselves in that, like we still did a lot of it and it still paid really well in the grand scheme of things, 
but we were kind of souring on that. Other stuff that we dropped, uh, we used to do, for historically we did bookkeeping on an annual basis, and then we just eventually were like, yeah, we're not going to do this anymore because this creates a nightmare. Right. We were pretty much there with quarterlies. We we didn't we had stopped taking any projects that bookkeeping projects that we would do on a quarterly basis for the same reason. Is like ultimately that business is about like how do we smooth out those fluctuations? Um, I don't know if there's anything else that we actively tried to kill. There was what there was a lot of was one-off just stuff that was specific to this client. And so the, the biggest thing in the process of doing this was getting away from just some of those really big outlier things because in the past we didn't really enable the team to push back on those and say that's not really a thing that we do and it's another example of like if there's no friction there for the client sure they're just going to step in and ask for that right like if unless you put up some sort of friction there to them just asking for whatever they want then they're just going to keep doing that it reminds me I think about the things that we got away from. I'm sure there's firms out there that can do this really well, but we weren't one of them. Um, going into other countries and trying to do bookkeeping or manage the tax or the sales tax or the VAT, bad idea. <laughs> it's like, okay, the Swiss payroll system. <laughs> Let's learn it. Um, no, just just because you can doesn't just mean thank you. Should. Yeah, I mean, there's so many countries we tried, and we still do some things in. Um, but even even just like with U.S. sales tax, as a Canadian firm, yeah, trying to navigate that, it's like no, nope, send them over to Alex at Tax Valet. Yeah. <laughs> like that's what that's what we did there. Yeah. Um, tax in the United States for us, like doing corporate returns, you couldn't possibly understand it. I, I, I hear it changes quite quickly. Um, let's not go into that one. But you're right. Like we couldn't do it. So we hired a firm to do that kind of work. I think that's just a, a good, good reminder to like probably focus on your own country. Can we sprinkle some nuance in here though? Because there's such a cool firm to be made around all of the stuff that the snowflake firms won't do for you. And this yeah. is something that I grappled with a lot yeah, yeah. because we got to do some really cool projects that I really enjoyed that were like our most profitable projects. Right. And I like, I know enough about myself to know that my parents told me they loved me enough times when I was a child for me to not need to go out and make a really big accounting firm. So what is the best version of a 10 person cast practice like what are the services that we're going to do and what's the most fun version of that small firm? Uh, and like the right answer for like a giant firm, like I think firms beyond a certain threshold, like they're all doing like turnkey pricing. Like it's all based on these sliders and, st and that is what it is. And you mean like, like the two or 3000 person firms? Even way below that. I mean, like, I don't know that I could put a finger on a firm over a hundred people that wasn't pricing most of what they do. Yeah. based on number of transactions, like all of those sort of really explicit things. Yeah. But to me, what's fun about not being that firm is all the stuff that I can do because I'm not there. That's right. And the more that I think firms like standardize and productize and 
the more that we are maybe quote unquote enlightened to setting all of those boundaries, the greater premium there is for the firm to come in and be like, that is disgusting. I will happily do it for you <laughs> for many, many thousands many, of dollars many, a month. Many, many dollars. Yeah. Did that ever appeal to you? Because like you seem like you were like wired from the beginning to like you're not a technician. Like you want like you wanted to build it in the beginning, like from the beginning, in order to have a bigger team and enable more things. Whereas I like, whereas I don't know that most people are like that when they're. I I, out. I think. Like losing that, let's do good, fun stuff. Uh, we never really lost that. Um, but I think what you were asking about before was like the out of scope stuff is what I'm saying is the fun stuff, though. Like when somebody brings that super weird thing to you, some, and you're like, yeah, I mean, that kind of stuff is an easier conversation because it's so out of left field. It's the stuff that like kills you by a thousand ra razor blades, which is which is different it is different across like different sizes. So I don't know like how we can bring this back to like a, a decent answer, but finding joy in the work, I don't think has ever been lost even throughout every kind of ebb and flow. It just looks different. Um, even at like 80 people, we were still like, Oh, let's put in a dev team. I can you tell you how much joy I would feel in that situation. And it would be not very much. But what you're saying <laughs> is it seems like you can have fun in any old in any old accounting firm situation. No, I think I think when you're like at a smaller size, the nimbleness is so fun. And I understand why people stay at like one person, five people, ten people. It is like it's like majestic to be able to have those relationships and like known profit numbers i i think there's like there's good firms <laughs> known, known profit numbers <laughs> to have things like a profit and loss what a luxury <laughs> um what i'm getting at is like you can have fun at every size it's just i think in the beginning the fun is amplified because you're doing all the things to figure out what you're good at what you're bad at. and even if you stayed at five people like, I don't know if you asked if I miss that, but like, I think I miss like at every stage, there's just, it's a different version of the firm that you, um, that you're working at. And yeah, like I miss the days of like five people, but I also miss the days at 15 and I miss the days at 42. Um, it was just a different vibe at every level. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, so service packages today, one thing one thing you're kind of trending towards that I guess I didn't get into is like, what are the, what do you think are the, and I do think it's very firm dependent. Like what are the right mm -hmm. and the wrong ways to assign values to specific items within an engagement? Well, that's kind of like a sales question too, right? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I don't know if we bring it back to like a service design lens. Um, Again, like what is included and what isn't included in a service is really important. And I don't know where I saw this somewhere, but someone was, was talking about their, like, well, my contract says this, but clients are still having a problem accepting it. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, okay, I get that. But your service delivery is so linked to 
the ops piece of um, reminding people that it's not uh, in scope. It's sales being on top of those requests and having those conversations really quickly. Um, that if you don't have that like interconnectivity um, as re- as requests are coming up and you don't know what's included and what's not included, it's really tough. So as much as like you mentioned, like, yeah, it's fun to be the five person team that can just do everything um, for the work. Y- you're right. But at 15 or 20, you know, multiply that one issue by five or 20. And now it becomes like, Oh, we don't have enough time to do the work. So setting up like a services list or a standard pricing list um, that says like, here's what we do. Here's what we don't do. Communicating that during the sales process, communicating it during onboarding, communicating it during your monthly and quarterly meetings and just getting on top of it as these requests are coming in. They just, they become that thing that protects you from have to having like really weird and awkward conversations, which we've been having for 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. So drilling down on that, like that it's as much about what it isn't as what it is. Cause I think that's a, a good take home. Do your service offerings go as far as literally like explicitly outlining this is what it is, but like, does it actually say it does not include X, Y, Z? Yeah. And like you, you do have a lot of smart people that are talking about subscription pricing, like everything's included, the kitchen sink or up to this is included. I mean, there are fundamentally different ways to run firms. Um, I don't have an opinion on the subscription. I've never tried it. Um, as it's defined, you know, by the professionals, but we have always charged a monthly rate based off of a defined scope with what is and isn't included. Um, it outlines absolutely everything in like, it's a large document, but we go through it with the customers. Um, it's heavily part of the sales process. And even when things are listed in there, you're still going to have awkward conversations when things go outside of it, unless you can get ahead of it with a proper like sales and rescoping process. Yeah. It's tough. Like there's a way to make it done. There's a way to make this work for you and your firm. Um, But it's going to take a bunch of iterations. Let's talk about how those get packaged up and like presented. So like any engagement we had would be a collection of services. Same here. We never put out their standardized service levels that were a collection of like fixed things. Hmm. I know like that's something that's picked up popularity is your bronze, silver, gold plan. And here are the things that you do in each. We never standardized how those things were packaged. They were oftentimes similar like with, with clients. And we would go through this discovery process and if we wanted to work with them, we would make a proposal that had a few sure. packages, yeah. but we never like marketed the package itself, I guess. Yeah. Like, do you like, do you, no. what does your messaging look no, like around like, how those services are rolled out? Yeah. Like your, so like your method was kind of like the go proposal method. Like you put in the things it calculates the price and maybe you offer one or two proposals and then you've got like the practice ignitions that have the different services that you can offer so what we yeah what we do is like it's more what you're explaining ignition is like it's not like oh wait, did i call it pre- sorry guy 
there are yeah <laughs> there aren't like pricing drivers like we just plop a price in for the whole thing like yeah. we always we never itemized um and we would sometimes have like an internal calculator that we would use for for like basically to set the floor of course of what, what people were allowed we to price at thing. Yeah. but um when we presented it what they would see is like they would see bronze silver gold and prices and different collections of services but we never like on our website said like hey here's our bronze package and here's a concierge yeah. like we never like standardized either, do, either, it like either that. do we i think some firms do and it works i think when you're productized like that um, but for us what we ended up doing was um again from a service design perspective was saying you know the low like we would create the plan after we met with them and got to know what their thresholds were and what they needed or not and then it would be like okay cheapest plan is bookkeeping and tax and some training next is like bookkeeping tax training plus AP or payroll yeah, or both. And then the next one would be like, okay, all that stuff plus like a CFO or controller package. Yeah. And then anything that was not recurring would be called an add on. And then that would go there. But again, interesting. Not recurring was an add on. Well, even if it was recurring, it's like non-standardized. Okay. Right? Cause we built it. We'll talk about this later in like a sales thing or whatever, but like we just, we built it so that it was easy to follow for like the standard services. And it's like, Oh, if you want us to do the prior year end, we'll do this. Oh, if you want us to add an extra monthly thing, we'll do here. Oh, if you want us to do your personal tax returns, that way they could pick whatever they wanted plus mm. the add-ons. Yeah. But um, it did list things like number of transactions, um, number of bank accounts, um, number of uh, bill pay systems you could use. Um, how many employees for payroll and things like that. And it wasn't like we were using it to say, like, okay, every employee is going to be $3 or something. Um, that's really low. Sorry. It's not $3, but like, it's like you use for, for the last decade, we had used that as like a, a beacon of like, Oh, it was 10. Now it's 23. Should probably change that. Yeah. But again, discussion for another time. Hmm. But it did, it did list it out. Hmm. Well, um, big big takeaways. You got something else? Just that, like, if you're thinking about service design, like having like what worked really well for us was to say, like, for every service that you provide, there is an underlying procedure document for it, and all new employees that are coming on board would have access to all these things. So if they're like, "Hey, what do we do for bookkeeping?" Oh. Here's the bookkeeping list of procedures for payroll. Here's the 30 payroll things we do and all, all their procedure docs that really helped and was like every year it got better and better and better and better. And it made it easier for more people to come into the firm yeah. because it was less one-on-ones. It was more, okay, here's how everything looks. Yeah. And then as they read the documents, and do would do the work if they noticed anything was, that didn't make sense. It would be like part of the culture to make improvements mm. for the next person so that they could understand it better. Yeah. So takeaways, set these up to enable both the sales, but also the SOP side of like how you get things done. Yeah. It's okay for services to go in and out of style. That's totally normal. I like that. Um, it's as much about what isn't included in it as it is what is included, included. in it. Uh-huh. Firms do things different ways and it's totally okay. No, I don't know about that. <laughs> Jason's way or the highway. 
Yeah, that is that's that's a good one to end it on. Like you're the the answer for your firm is like going to be unique to you, the that's size right. you are, what kind of firm you want to yeah, make, what, like what, what you want to do in the next few years. You could even want to get smaller. Like that's what I did. It was like the best thing I ever did. Yeah, like it's it's working for us too. Yeah, I think there is there is serendipity in the ebb and the flow, and recognizing that that's a natural part of the firm is totally okay wow serendipity in the ebb and the flow you heard it you heard it here first <laughs> mic drop from chad davis bye jason let's go get some tea yay maryland